You're listening to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Gerard with space. Tick towards Barosh. He's beat Tick through it. The goalkeeper made contact. Luis Garcia was in front of the line. Gallas hooked it away. Welcome back to the Ghost Goal Podcast. I'm Alex here with Javier. Uh, we got one more week and then uh, good news. Yeah, our old boy, Andrew, he's back. He's back this weekend. The return of the Andrew. return of the Mac. Return of the Mac? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really apply, but... Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Andrew's the Mac. He's uh, coming back. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. He's going to be back this weekend to jump in on our uh, World Cup previews, which if you haven't checked out, go to our uh, the same feed that you're probably listening to this podcast on. Uh, we've done groups A and B so far of the World Cup. Both are about 20 to 30 minutes in each group, and uh, we're going to record groups C and D a little bit later tonight that I'll, re- I'll release later for more Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but right now, we're going to talk about uh, a somewhat eventful FA Cup, probably not for neutrals. Uh, an FA Cup final, I mean. It was a good final. I mean, for for the one nothing scoreline and just being a penalty, it was pretty fun. Uh, then we're going to talk about plenty of moving and shaking in the management carousel among the Premier League and uh, other big jobs around Europe. And then finally, we'll preview Liverpool-Real Madrid one more time before the big Champions League final this weekend. So let's get started. Chelsea won the FA Cup this past weekend against Manchester United 1-0 with a Eden Hazard goal from a penalty in the 22nd minute. Am I a little biased when I say that I think Chelsea were the deserving side of the, the two? Do you agree with that as a neutral? Somewhat neutral. So it was interesting because I thought you guys did deserve to win in the sense that, I mean, I'm an Arsenal fan, so of course, like, it looks like, you know, United had way more shots. Ollie. And, you know, United had 75% of the possession, 70% of the possession, something like that. And, you know, they... it. it from the balance of play, it would seem that United maybe deserved to get a bit more out of it, but I think it was a very Chelsea-like performance, a very finals, you know, Conte. We Jose Mourinho. Yeah, you Jose Mourinho Jose them. Mourinho. You, 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 right. And he was, you could tell he was... We learned from the best. I mean... The next day he was like, oh, the, the, the better team didn't win. Oh, that was... Oh. <laughs> you could tell he was salty about Pot, it. Hot kettle black. <laughs> Like and and, and beating him one nothing, I think that's just oh, like yeah. adds insult to injury because that's, that's his that's his scoreline. That's why Marcus Alonso missed that chance near the end of the right. second half. We missed you didn't all those want to chances. Put the two nothing. We, did, we didn't want to do right. the two nothing. We just wanted the one nil Jose Mourinho. Just have him be like, oh, I should have like I like oh, it was only one goal in it. But I mean, you guys, I think you guys deserved it. They didn't have that many good chances, is what I'm saying. The, the, they, they had a ton the, of shots. The but two that spring to mind that you really think United should have finished that were, header. Well, the Paul Pogba header. And probably a little bit earlier than that, uh, Marcus Rashford, just before he got taken off, he had like a sort of one-on-one with Tebow where right. he just slipped in and you could see he was really desperately trying just to put it straight score, at him, like yeah. just to sort of like make up for the rest of the game because he was invisible. 
I don't blame Mourinho for starting Rashford. It, Lukaku hasn't played in what, like a month? He probably wasn't going to be fit to play. A Mourinho full said Lukaku minutes. told him he was not ready to play this game. That's ooh, I'm skeptical. If a player tells you, hippo on my part. If a player tells you that they're not ready to play the game, then... I guess. But do you think Alexis Sanchez is saying that? No, in the same situation. Not, do you think? Do you think Diego Costa is saying that? Do you think like these like real? I mean, I would slag type, Lukaku like, for that if that. That's what I'm, that's like, what I'm I doubt Mourinho's lying about that. You know, like when, he when, definitely threw Lukaku onto the bus after this game, saying because you know all the reporters were asking him like, what, Lukaku was on the bench. Why didn't you start him? Like, what's going on here? And he was like, look, like if a player tells me. I'm not. I'm not ready to play ninety minutes, boss, and I'm not going to force him to do that. Just makes me question his uh, his winning mentality, which sounds like big pundit talk. You know, they always go into like big generalizations like that. Like, you know, I don't think Romelu Lukaku has like the mentality to be a winner at United. Right. But that's that's a little. He's skeptical. not a big game player. That's a little skeptical on my part. Like, I, if I'm Lukaku, I'm chomping at the bit to get back and. At least yeah, give like you, a good you would have 60 thought, minutes. You would have thought that he would have he would have been starting this game. <clears throat> the penalty, it was a penalty. And they got pretty lucky earlier to, oh, to not clear, concede, to not concede penalty. another penalty earlier on. Uh, who was it in the box that they took down? It was Matic uh, took down Timo Bakayoko. Right. And we, my, my dad and I were just raging. I mean, just Bakayoko did, up. did trip on himself, but you could see no, that, Matic, that Matic held Matic, him back. Well, Matic clipped his leg into his own leg. Uh, I didn't see the clip. I thought I, it was. I'll, I thought it was Matic holding. Can, holding. Um, I'll retweet the uh, the clip the incident, of it because, like, yeah. on Chelsea. Do so you think Twitter, it was a Stonewall penalty? On Chelsea Twitter, there was like, well, no, I don't think it was, it was a VAR, Stonewall. You know? I don't think it was a Stonewall penalty because when you went back and looked at it, it looked like the initial contact was made just outside of the box. So, like a free kick at least, but there was nothing. There was nothing given. Nothing right. called. I was kind of surprised by how underused VAR was. I thought it would be used more. Like the another really weird decision that somehow didn't go Chelsea's way was the Ashley Young handball in the box in the second half. See, I thought that was a great instance of VAR, though. I thought VAR that was, was used, but then I thought they got it wrong. No, I thought that was the correct decision. But like he moved his arm towards. No, definitely the ball. not. I think all I know is our friend, my cousin Connor, yeah. United fan, agreed with me and just said that's a Stonewall penalty. I, that's absolutely crazy. But, but that's it's not because it just brings in more indecisiveness. It was, it was for ball me. to hand. It was ball to hand, and Ashley Young was. But when your hand is moving towards the ball, yeah. But there's no. This is a this is a nat, like down by your side is a natural position for your hands to be in. Your hands should not be behind your back. That's an unnatural position. So when a player is actually has their hands like this and they're jumping in to tackle, well, you're not going to have your hands like this. That's you have to have thing. your hands out like that, having, and that's natural. Having your hands so down hits, by your side is one thing, right? But as soon as the ball like is kicked, like the Chelsea player, I can't remember who it was, makes contact with the ball to try and square it right. in front of United's goal. Uh, Ashley Young's arm starts to move towards it. It to was in, it, it, to stop the ball. It from, was, but it was it was the ball went straight to his hand. You know what I mean? I think he was trying to move his hand out of the way, and the <clears> movement just looks like he's trying to move it. But I I would never call again, a penalty there. I'll send you some clips. I'll retweet some clips on my own uh, Twitter at asmoss92. Javier is on Twitter now. We're gonna yeah. get him. I gotta start interacting with him. It's uh, I don't know if you've changed your handle yet, but no. I, I made your Twitter, and it's just Javier ninety two. So yeah. J A V I and then A I. R. Right. I'm I'm cute. You know? <laughs> Javier. I was just like, what's something dumb and like and uh not Javier's name that because I'm guessing the name Javier is taken in some capacity, so Probably. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what we settled on. You can change it anytime you want, just let the listeners know. Um this game didn't go tactically the way I thought it would. 
where I was saying on the pod last week, looking forward to this game, like I don't think Chelsea have have what it takes to really compete with United in the middle of the park. And it was the complete opposite. N'Golo Kante and Bakayoko were absolutely just a do- like dominant. Bakayoko maybe not dominant, but he was he had one of N'Golo his N'Golo better... was fantastic. N'Golo was dominant, but Bakayoko had one of his better games in a Chelsea shirt. And uh, Fabregas, even though he started to sort of wane near the end there, he was really excellent even when he was a little tired and not really able to keep up with the pace of the game. He was really good at, I think for the last, like, Chelsea were under the cosh for the last, like, 20 to 30 minutes. Uh and Fabregas looked out of it, like, athletically. And then all of a sudden, we got possession back, and it was Fabregas and Hazard and Giroud and N'Golo Kante who were the ones keeping us in possession. And that was, like, a really, really needed breath of fresh air and, like, a chance to rest and, like, keep the ball and get possession back and get control back in the game. That, if I, like, I was calling for Fabregas after a couple of plays, like, drag his ass off. Get Willian in there. Get us back in so we can uh, be a threat on the counter again. But... Conte stuck with that lineup and, you know, he ended up being right. And it's one of those times where I'm raging at the television some, some, asking some for a change. Some ballsy moves from Conte, some uh, ballsy substitutions, taking off Giroud and uh, taking off Hazard. Which, if United had found an equalizing goal, you would have had to play the next, you know, 35, 40 minutes without needing Hazard. Which I was... I was, I was I was like, oh man, that would be, I was texting, be classic if something like that happened. I was happened. texting you and Connor during this match, and there were about three or four different times throughout the match where something happened, I reacted and said something, and not even five seconds later, the analyst, whoever it was on, on Fox Sports, com- either completely repeated word for word what I said, or said it in some fashion. And that was the exact thing I said about Hazard. It was like, oh man, this is... This is uh, this is ballsy. Like if we they equalize and we go to extra time, like we're in a we're in a bit of trouble. And the announcer came in and said the same thing. My dad just looked at me and just goes, "Oh, do you have a podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> just starts ripping on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, as a Chelsea fan, I know uh, we, with Arsenal we have maybe ridiculed the FA Cup a little bit, but I feel pretty happy with Chelsea winning this trophy just under the circumstances of. We're playing against Man United, who obviously had a comparatively better season than us. We're playing against our former manager, Jose Mourinho, the greatest manager in Chelsea football club history. And it's important for us to keep a winning record over Jose Mourinho because right now we've basically split the four uh, Premier League games we've played with them where they've won both their home games. We've won both of our home games. We've won one FA Cup game against them last year in the quarterfinal. And now we've got the FA Cup final that... You know, head to head, it's good to have bragging rights over someone like Jose Mourinho because if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile and he'll just make it out that like, you know, Chelsea are yeah, like a I mean, small, inconvenient club. Like, I feel like it adds to your season in the sense that it's it not may, a complete loss. It may save Conte's job. Been, yeah, your season would have been a complete loss without that FA Cup. I think with that, you can say, you know, he's won a league and an FA Cup in his first two years and. No, no manager should be fired after after that, you know? I don't want to talk about uh, the rumors of Conte leaving or Chelsea trying to sign Maurizio uh, Sarri or anyone else. Uh, I'm going to wait until concrete news for that actually comes out because right now it's all rumors like Chelsea are meeting with Sarri's people. Chelsea are meeting with Conte's like agent this weekend. Like It's just like... Wait for something to happen. We'll react then. We'll, we'll give our, our thoughts and analysis when something actually happens. Uh... But until then, we're going to move on to some manager talk that is a bit more con- concrete. Uh, so let's start with Arsenal. 
got an Arsenal fan in here. Why not? Uh, Arsenal announced Unai Emery in a somewhat of a shock move. Was it yesterday? Two days ago? Was... Today Today was the announcement. Yesterday on uh, on his website, he announced himself, which is a right, pretty boss way to announce it, it. Two days ago was when like yeah, the, when the, the news concrete broke. reports Yeah, the news broke out. two days ago. Because up until two days ago, like I even had it on the our Google I'd Doc. I'd never heard use. someone mention Unai Emery. Well, I, I had not the Google Doc that we, we use under this category of the what managers are we going to talk about going to what clubs. I had Arteta to Arsenal. Right. <laughs> and then the news came out of Emery. And I was like, oh, okay, time to update that. But uh, I think that's, a, this is a, that's actually a really good example of how... In the news and in the media, there can be something that people think is certain. People were certain Arteta was going to be the next Arsenal manager. There were numerous outlets, people, you know, tweeting about it, saying everyone's like, "Oh, this is what's happening. Arsenal's budget's fifty million. This is what's going to happen." None of it was true. You know, these are all just these are all just rumors. These are stories yeah. that you know he was a candidate. He definitely was a candidate for An the job. An offer was never made. Supposedly, but, really? to Arteta, like they just never even made an offer. They interviewed him. They were talking to him. They were talking to his people, and they were comparing sort of expectations and what the what like the circumstances, like how much money he would be given, and all of those kinds of like conditions of his management. They never even put out an offer. At least that's from what I'm reading. Emery, yeah. let's react Emery. to Emery. Yeah. That's yeah. the concrete. Yeah, thing. definitely, definitely I'm, an upgrade uh, over Arteta. But you know, how like what do you expect? Like, so I'm genuinely excited. I uh, I watched his entire press conference today. I, I watched... believe the phrase was hot for Emery. I believe that's what you just said before we started recording. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit. You know, I'm 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 for I'm actually hopeful for Arsenal in the future right now. I I watched his uh, his press conference today. I've been watching videos about him, reading up on him. You know, trying to figure out what type of manager he is, what he's going to bring to the club, what type of style, um, you know, what type of work ethic, what we're going to look like in big matches, et cetera, et cetera. So my first impressions are that, first of all, Unai is he's still relatively young. He's 46 years old. He's been managing since 2004. So he's been around a while. You know, uh, by the way, 46 is the age that Arsene Wenger was when they uh, when he joined when he joined. Yeah. And. You know, Emery the next Wenger confirmed. <laughs> three titles in the he next has, eight years. Uh, he won three Europa Leagues with in a row with Sevilla, which is which is not a you know that's not a easy task to do. He finished third place three times in Spain with Valencia right before that. You know, with with good Atletico Madrid and uh, Sevilla sides, and you know he's been. It seems like, and then at PSG he won uh, the domestic treble and the double. And he's, you know, he's done... They didn't win the league last year. Right, they just won the two cups. Yeah. But I'm saying, you know, he's he's been been present, especially in cup competitions. He seems to have a good track record. And his style seems to be, from what he says, uh, he he likes pressure off of the ball. He, he's, he says he's a very, you know, pressing. He, he He's going to train the players very hard into that, working hard off of the ball. And then when they have the ball, he likes them being protagonists. He likes them attacking, uh, being the one who, in his words, you know, create the story of how the game goes. So, you know, I'm very curious to see how players like Jack Wilshire and Mesut Ozil uh, are under someone like Emre, who's, you know, going to be screaming his head off at these players to, you know, press here, press there, work here, work there. And I, I can only see, you know, there's going to be heads rolling. You know, the, I, I think there's going to be some changes at the club. I think he's going to realize he doesn't have the personnel that he needs to run the system that he wants to play. Um, but from what he said, he 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 uh, he seems to like a lot of the players we have. 
and apparently he came to his interview uh, with all with analysis, like video and like paper analysis of all of our players, including our youth players. Like oh, he, he watched he video. He watched video on like all of our players, all of our youth players. Like had like you know uh, like this like fifty page like dossier of like just analysis saying this is what I can do with these players. This is how I can think I can grow them. That that to me that's like that's amazing, right? And that's why that's why the the, the board, which now actually, um, I've also got we've also gotten uh, today, we've got a much clearer view of how Arsenal is being run. Uh, Gazidis explained that before. Explain who Gazidis. Uh, oh, Ivan Gazidis is uh, he's our chief executive. He's the the head of the board of directors at Arsenal, uh, and he's formed a committee at Arsenal, which. Um, there was nothing like this before. Uh, this this was just total recent. power for Wenger. Yeah, it was complete. Wenger was in charge of everything. He was in charge of you know recruiting players. Contracts. He was in charge of when people were contracts. He was in, he was in charge of sponsorship things. You know, he but had his hand dipped in everything. The youth system. You can't do that. Youth, now. You can't. Right. He was the only, and, and that's why he kind of got I think stale. You know, he got he he got kind of bad at all of those jobs. Right. He was he was still doing all the jobs, but he wasn't doing them all well. Now they've diluted his power into you know four different people basically, yeah. Um, and three of those people are Sven Mis- Mislintat, who came from Borussia Dortmund. He was their head of recruitment there. He's now our head of recruitment, and he was the one responsible for bringing Mkhitaryan, Aubameyang to the club in January. Again, moves that I don't think Arsene Wenger would have made those moves, especially the Aubameyang move going in when we were, he had just spent broken our record transfer on a striker in Black in the that. summer. And then in January, going and breaking that record again—that that's not an Arsene Wenger thing to do, right? Right. That's that was Sven. Um, and the then, Arsene Wenger thing to do is okay. We're going to give Eddie Nicotia right uh, uh, a minutes. chance. Yeah. <laughs> so I think him, uh, along with uh, Raúl's son Sanheli, who was the uh, technical director and the sporting director at Barcelona under Pep Guardiola during all those years, um, all the way up till last year. So. We, we have two, you know, really uh, experienced uh, coming from big teams, you know, Dortmund and, and Barcelona. And they're the ones who are, along with Ivan Gazidis, they're the ones, you know, going after our signings. Um, Raul's in charge of, he's the, he, he, the his title is uh, Director of Footballing Relations. So, you know, he's the one who's going to be negotiating the transfers along with Gazidis. And, you know, it seems like they're going to be the ones, you know, uh, trying to work with the manager to pick out these targets. And from what, what I can tell... And also, just a side yeah. note, that, that title usually also has something to do with liaising with the players themselves. So making sure that everyone's comfortable in their role, making sure... They're happy someone, with their contracts. Happy with their contract. Maybe they, want, maybe they want to have an improved role. Maybe they're interested in getting a transfer somewhere else, and you're, you have to convince them, oh, no, you don't want to transfer to Manchester United. We're going to sell you to the, uh, this other league, and getting... Getting players like being more of like a connection between like the the suits like Gazidis and right. you know the, the the manager in Unai Emery because you know there's going to be like difficulties in those relationships if he's going to be the the manager or sorry coach because he's not a manager the coach that is going to be hard on them he, he he's not going to be everyone's best friend no like <laughs> and that's that's what I'm really excited about I'm excited that we're you know this the the manager that we're bringing also his assistant his assistant is just like this like dog like who just barks his head off during like practice and games and like there's so much footage of him just screaming at players on the sideline like during games and during practice and you know he's like the bad guy and and Unai's you know this this master tactician who good cop bad cop yeah good cop bad cop but Unai also you know he's the one who 
you know, who, who he, he, he also brings an energy. You can kind of feel that this guy, you know, he's, he's genuinely excited to be at the club. And I think he's going to translate that energy to the players. And, and you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future, especially having someone who's tactically astute. Whereas I don't think Wenger was, you know, he, he did tactics, but he didn't do them too much. A lot of the players said they didn't really watch any film. Right. That Wenger wouldn't 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 make them go back and watch their mistakes. That's something that will change. Unai Emre is the opposite. This guy is a. He got in arguments at PSG with obviously Neymar right. and other, let's say, because Brazilian he make them players. watch film. He would send them home with homework right. of themselves, and like he would have his video editing team edit down to his precise like recommendations, like what like stages of the game needed to be broken you, down, you and down and watched exactly. Edited, like and. You know, from the base level that you're coming from, as you mentioned with Wenger, doing almost none of Nothing, that. Right. Any sort of improvement is going to show on the field. All right, I think that could that could do miles for some of these players. I think players like Ramsey, players like Mustafi, Mesut Ozil, Mesut Ozil, just players who have a lot of accountability. They're 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 not they're they're good players. They have skill. They just haven't been taught positionally positional awareness on the field and to hold you know structure well and to press. And you know, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna need more players. Um, oh yeah, you know that's for sure. Our squad is is kind of small now. We we had a bunch of players leave in January. We're gonna need to buy more players. We're probably gonna have to bring a couple back on loan. People are saying Lucas Perez is probably gonna play for us next year. Well, this is where I don't think uh, Unai Emery. It's completely on him whether Arsenal uh, succeed or fail. It's not. It's on these three as well. They've right. taken responsibility. They're putting their names out there. Because it, it's no secret that Unai Emery, well, his, the best spell he's had in his managerial career was, was what you mentioned earlier at Sevilla, when he, he did win three Europa Leagues in a row. They were qualifying for the Champions League most of those years, dropping down to the Europa League, salvaging their season, obviously always doing well in the league, maybe obviously not challenging for the title, but getting top four. And pushing on and getting that Europa League trophy. Those teams were built by Monchi, the now director at Roma, who's helped build Roma into a Champions League semifinalist and made dozens of moves that maybe on the surface don't look uh, like they quite work. But at Roma, he specifically has built a very, very deep, very talented team that yeah. the results speak for themselves. His uh, relationship with Unai Emery at Sevilla was what, what they both credit as being the success there. Unai Emery needs to needs to have a similar relationship with Sven Mislintat if they're going to be successful. Like obviously, Sven has to be able to identify the right players and the players that are actually attainable for a, a club like Arsenal to get right now. Because it's no secret that they're 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 going to be having to get kind of creative with their transfers because all the top top targets aren't going to be available to them. There's going to be some signings like like say for example, this is a previous signing, but say like a Mavropanos. Who yeah. they're going to be signing a lot of players like that that you look at and go, I don't recognize him. Who is that? And eventually they'll be coached by Emery. They'll they'll be phased into the Arsenal system. It may take a year or two, but eventually they're. I think they'll probably get back into the top four conversation. They won't be sitting ten to fifteen points outside of the top four like they were this season. Exactly. I think I think that's the that's the type of coach Emery is. I think we're we're going to be you know looking to win the Europa League with him. I think we're looking to get back into top four. I don't think the expectation is that we're going to win the league with this guy. You know, he said that that's what he wants to do down the line. And I could see two or three years down the line once the players are used to his system and, you know, get 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 good that they could win the league with him. But, you know, that's not what anyone's expectation is, you know, coming in this year. I think we want to win Europa League. We want to get top, be in that top four again. And I mean, Valencia, when he joined Valencia, I want to say in 2008, 2009, they were in a worse position than Arsenal. Right. Obviously, they're they not as storied a, of a club as Arsenal, but 
they they were flirting with relegation and he got them back up into the top four and they fell apart again after he left. <laughs> so right. he has experience turning clubs around and getting them back either to uh, achieving above their expectations or meeting the, the, the former expectations that that club may have. Uh, so there's been other moves for managers. One that I wanted to mention was Manuel Pellegrini. Kind of a shock, kind of similar to Unai Emery at Arsenal. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere, and everyone believed that West Ham were going out after Rafa Benitez. That was like the word on the street. The, it was, that was going to be their man that they thought they could bring in, bring a little bit of stability to a tumultuous dressing room that ebbs and flows with uh, basically has the worst mood swings in the league. Sometimes they're playing like a, a top six, seven club. And then the, for the large parts of the league, they fall apart and look like they're going to get relegated. They wanted to bring some stability. They don't get Rafa Benitez. Instead, they bring in Man- Manuel Pellegrini. If you guys don't remember him, he was the manager of Manchester City for three, I want to say, three or four years before Pep Guardiola, four years, before Pep then, Guardiola uh, joined. He was at Villarreal before that. Well, before that, he was at Real Madrid. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's a he's a he's a pretty big manager to, he, for West Ham to be getting. He's a very big manager, I want to say, and he's a manager that he got to he got those jobs at the likes of Real Madrid and Manchester City, and didn't win the league at, Man, at Real Madrid, but won it at Manchester City. Got Manchester Manchester City to the uh, the Champions League semi final, which Pep Guardiola hasn't done right. yet. He got to that point in his career by taking teams like Malaga, like Villarreal. Adding a little bit of, he's had, admittedly, he had a little bit of money to spend at both those clubs at the time, but he spent that money well, and he got them up into the European conversation. He had Malaga in something like the quarterfinals of the Champions League back in 2011. I'm not saying that West Ham are going to be in the Champions League like one or two years from now, but I think it's very reasonable to say that with the players they have right now, and with a few more astute signings, and he has to be given the, either the help in the the office, to get those signings or he has to he has to have the players but he can get to the Europa League I think and that's where West Ham really really need to be at the least with the stadium they have with the amount of money they're sp- spending relative yeah, I mean, to the other teams at the bottom of the league on players I think this is a fantastic signing for them I think this is you know this will show good intentions to the fans and to the players that they want to get they're a big ecstatic. coach right and 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 I think you know this is a great move for West Ham I think you know, but at the same time, you know, this guy has been out of a job for a year, a year, two, a couple years. years, a couple years. Two and years, it's kind of yeah. hard for a manager, especially I think he's around 70 years old now. Yeah, he's getting, for somebody, he's getting on for somebody to come in and, you know, come and motivate all these players, have them, you know, look at you as someone that they can grow under and as someone who can teach them things. I'm not so sure that someone who's been out of the game for two years is going to, you know, immediately come in and do that. But in terms of experience, in terms of writing the ship, and like you said, you know, getting them to that Europa League stability. Stability. I think he, he's a, he's a, definitely a move in the right direction. I think he, something he's going to realize very very quickly at West Ham if he's not able to get all those those signings I talked about this summer, he's going to realize it by January and next summer because there are a lot of very very injury prone players in that squad. Players that have been relied on by past managers. Think of Andy Carroll. Think of Chiku Koyate in, in midfield. Think of many of their center backs. Manuel, uh, Manuel Lanzini, I would say, is the biggest Manuel one. Manuel Lanzini for sure. They're gonna sure. have to hold on to him and he'll, uh, and he'll be a fa- he'll be a favorite of Pellegrini's for sure. Oh yeah. And I don't think Arnautovic is going anywhere t- anytime soon because he's being paid very handsomely by West Ham. Okay. Uh yeah, he's I, I'm 
I'm not looking forward to seeing what he can do because I, uh, West Ham are already a difficult game for the likes of you know my favorite team Chelsea. But uh, it it's good to see them getting somewhat back on track. Going away from England for a second, Carlo Ancelotti was announced yesterday or earlier today. I today, can't really yeah. keep track as uh, the new manager of Napoli. Uh, it was announced a few hours before Carlo Ancelotti was made manager that Maurizio Sarri, the previous manager, was uh, excused from his contract. I can't remember what the exact term was. They fired him. They fired him, yeah. Uh, they fired him after, I think, getting 93 points in Serie A and setting the record for highest points total by a, a non-title-winning win, yeah. side. Which is not a record you want to have, but... I, I will look fondly upon the Maurizio Sarri days in Napoli. They were one of my favorite teams. This team is going to look very different next season uh, with Carlo Ancelotti at the helm. You're going to see a lot of players that for the last two seasons under Sarri were mainstays probably leave. And if this is going to work, Aurelio De Laurentiis, the Napoli owner, who saved them from bankruptcy back in 2013 or 2014 and has been famously stingy with them ever since, he's going to have to dig into his pockets a little bit. Because for a manager like Carlo Ancelotti, probably one of the most decorated Italian managers in the world right now, which is saying something, he, he's, not going to, he's not going to just be okay with the current crop of Napoli players. He's not going to be okay with inevitably players like Drias Mertens and maybe even Lorenzo Insigne having their, their buyout clauses activated. I think Mertens is something like 20 million. You know, he's 31, he's getting on a little bit, but for 20 million, you can have a player like Drias Mertens some team is going to be interested in that. So he's not just going to let his team get picked apart and then start a league season again. He's going to be demanding He's going to be demanding additions and maybe not all very, very expensive ones, but there's going to be one or two in there that you think to yourself, like, oh, that's a good bit of money compared to what Napoli used to be spending. So I don't know, any thoughts on Ancelotti to Napoli? Do you think they still have the same sort of expectations of winning the league next season like they had this year? <sighs> I, I don't know. I mean, you're, you know, he's been your manager, so you obviously have a bit more insight on this than me. But my initial impression is, you know, it's a huge change of style, a big change of personnel coming in. But, you know, this guy's a proven winner, and why not? You know, if they can keep all of their players, you know, maybe maybe he can do something to challenge Juventus. But it, it, Juventus have – this next year is going to be a changing of the guard for Juventus. You know, a lot of their players <laughs> – that's every year. Buffon are leaving, but you know Bazagli, I'm pretty sure, and Chiellini hasn't. Both of them, their contracts haven't been renewed yet. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Chiellini will get another year. But you know these, they, their back line's aging. Uh, their midfield is aging, and you know they're they're going to need they're going to need to refresh the team. So I think Juve will be fine. I think there will be a year or two where Juve uh, won't be as good as they were in these the last six titles or seven. They won it seven, seven Rona. Right. I don't want to go through every single year, but it, it seems like every single year there is somewhat of a major makeover at Juve where they lose players like Vidal, Pogba, Tevez. It doesn't seem to matter. Does it, it doesn't matter. That's They've mastered that art. Of they are a phenomenal re- club. Of, of, not, of not really needing to like have a transition season. Yeah, they have some they like just retool, players they reload and so they have all these players that exactly. you know, they could bring in at any time. But as for Napoli, the reason this took me by surprise and I didn't really see it happening until it was actually announced was that Ancelotti to me has always been uh one of the best managers in the world. 
in terms of man management. He's someone that ever since his days at AC Milan, he's been able to come into experienced, talented teams, not right the ship, so to say, but sort of get everyone back into their pre-established roles. Uh, I'm thinking firstly AC Milan, then he goes to Chelsea, a team that has uh, was very stable at the time in 2009, 2010. Maybe hadn't won the league for a couple of years, but a lot of those same players were the Mourinho-era players that Mourinho had taken and put into place there. Ancelotti got them back to playing in roles very suitable to each of them as individuals and just sort of said, you guys are professionals. You're in your late 20s, early 30s. You know what you're doing. I'm going to I'm gonna pop in and make adjustments here and there if something's not working, but... Uh, and have conversations with you, but he's more of like a, he's more of like a big brother, or more of like a friendly dad than he is like a uh, disciplinarian. More like that. Conte is the other end of the spectrum, where he's like sh- shrieking down at you and like beating into your brain what exactly you need to do at every moment on the pitch. Ancelotti's the other end of the spectrum. He's there. He's like talking to you. He's like he's asking your opinion on how you what you think is the best way that you need to be utilized as an individual. It's not something that I really saw for Napoli. They don't really have the established superstars or stars there that know how to win the league title because obviously they haven't won anything yet. But, you know, it's it's a new and different project for him, which I'm so, sure was uh, somewhat interesting to him. And that's yeah, why he took the like job. Yeah, it seems like he was uh, he was definitely in for the Arsenal job, but we just I think we just saw Unai Emery as a better, well, as that a better was an, option. That was another club that I didn't think would fit him well for that exact reason. I thought you needed someone with more of like a hands-on Gazina said that they were interviewing eight, they interviewed eight candidates for the job, uh, and all eight of them remained in it till, you know, till wow. the official announcement. So all of them wanted the job, and, you know, that which is surprising, but, you know, uh, I think that's why it's, it's, I think Ancelotti didn't get his first choice. But I think he wanted to just, he was itching to get back in the game. And, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does there. All right, that's enough of the new manager talk. I'm sure we'll have plenty more of it to go uh, when the coaching carousel continues uh, inevitably a few weeks from now. Uh, but let's shift our focus here to games this weekend. You know, it's the end of the season, not too much to look forward to uh, other than the World Cup, of course. But there's two games this Saturday that. Uh, obviously, you can only, if you can only watch one, have it be the Champions League final. We'll preview that in a second. But I just want to quickly mention that the championship playoff final uh, is going on this Saturday, I believe, on FS1 or on Fox Sports. Uh, Saturday at 12 p.m., it will be Fulham versus Aston Villa to get back into the Premier League and join Wolves and Cardiff City in the English top flight. That game's always fun. I always enjoy watching it. It's two teams in a cup final atmosphere. It's played at Wembley. Both of them are desperate for Premier League status. And These are both pretty big Premier League teams. You know, they, they've both been in the Premier League. Fulham have had a little bit more of a break than Aston Villa because Aston Villa have only been down for one season. But right, but I'm saying Fulham were in it for a long time. They have. Know? They both have Premier League level players. You know, yeah. Ryan Sessegnon is arguably Mitrovic England's and, uh, greatest talent. Mitrovic and Sessegnon are the two big players on Fulham, and uh, Jack Grealish and. Um, Who's Brian Snodgrass is one of their wingers. Who's their striker? Is it Cameron Jerome? No. Uh, Jonathan Koja, the Ivorian striker, I, I thought. Cameron Jerome plays for Derby, I believe. Derby, right, 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 right. Who they beat in the last round. Who they beat in the last round. But, you know, John Terry is the captain of Aston Villa. You know, he's 
he's remade himself down in the championship. He was like the player of the season. Championship player of the season. Or no, the team of the season. Team, team of the yeah, season. Yeah, no, but he was Villa's player of the season. Oh, wow, good for yeah. him. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, I'll be rooting for Aston Villa, rooting for JT, and rooting for little brother Fulham to stay down in the championship for another year. Yeah, I'll be rooting for Fulham. Okay. I want uh, I want to see Sessignon and uh, their, Fulham's attacking style in the Premier League. For from what I've heard, they have a super fun attacking style, and they kind of throw caution to the wind. Milan and... Jovanovic, their head coach, been been getting a lot of uh, discussion with a lot of Premier League jobs. Every time in the past two years, a manager has been sacked. Which, if you have been counting, it's been like sixteen or seventeen times teams have changed manager mid season. He's never quite gotten that job because he's always wanted to be uh, stick to Fulham and stick with the, uh, the team until the end of the season. And he's done a hell of a job getting them back to this level. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually won that. Sesson Young is a hell of a player, and all the top six would be absolutely... Ex- Chomping for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They'd be <laughs> very happy to get him. But we all know what the marquee event of this weekend is. It's the Champions League final, Saturday at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time in the States. Liverpool will face Real Madrid... We previewed this one a few weeks ago when it was first uh, set in stone when both these teams secured their place in the final. But I want to preview it like a little bit more. Now we know a couple days out uh, who's healthy, who's who's not, everything like that. But first we're going to hear from our very own Andrew Pissarro on how he thinks this Champions League final is going to go for his Liverpool. All right, guys. Andrew here. Big week. Champions League final. Um... So a couple points. My expected starting eleven here. Pull this up. Carius, Trent Alexander Arnold, Dayon Lovren, Virgil van Dyke, Andy Robertson, Henderson, Milner, Wijnaldum, Salah, Firmino, Mane. Exactly what you'd expect. On the bench, you'd have Mignolet, Clavin, Lal- Klein, Lalana, Ings, and Solanke. Uh, fuck off, Emery Chan. Honestly, your head's Juventus. I don't. I don't really want you there. I'm so done with him. I hope he busts. Literally want nothing to do with him. Uh, worried about Trent Alexander-Arnold and the overload of Cristiano Ronaldo and Marcelo. But at the same time, I feel like Salah versus Marcelo is going to be absolutely nuts. I think Salah is going to turn him inside out. Um, I don't think Real Madrid are going to be able to man-mark Marcelo like other teams have. I just don't expect them to be able to handle him. Uh, the midfield battle is going to be insane. Is can... Honestly, can Milner, Henderson, and Wijnaldum keep up with Isco, with Casemiro, with Modric and Cruz? I think that's going to be really, really hard. Um, I'm expecting a 4-4-2 from Real Madrid. Um, I would expect to see the typical back four, midfield four of Isco, Casemiro, Cruz, Modric. Instead of Isco, you could see Lucas Vasquez and then Cristiano Ronaldo and Benzema up top. That's what I'm expecting. Um, it's going to be a, a lot to ask. It's going to be a lot to ask from Roberto Firmino. He, need, he needs to drop in the midfield. He needs to help break up play. He needs to do everything. Uh, I, Cristiano Ronaldo will score. That is a given. It is an absolute fact. It is not even up for debate. He's going to score in this game. Uh, ball possession overall is going to be wild. Uh, both teams play their best football on the counter. I do expect Liverpool to end up taking a little bit more of the possession. I feel like Real Madrid are going to sit back and attempt to absorb pressure. And at the end of the day, this is my big question. Can Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino, and Sadio Mane Mane do more 
than Cristiano Ronaldo, Benzema, and company. Both teams have a soft underbelly of a defense. Both teams are exposable, and that's that's what it comes down to. Um, I think I'm going to pick Liverpool to win. We know that, but my uh, my head would still say, you know, this this Real Madrid team has been here for the last two years, and they've taken home the trophy three out of the last four years. Um, this would be an absolute steal by Liverpool, but they've been great in this competition all year. They've done everything that they've needed to. Um, they can't give up useless set pieces. They can't give up dumb fouls. They have to be smart. They have to play play the game right. But all in all, they've done that this year in this competition. The only loss they took was at Roma. Um, and also, another thing worth noting, they legitimately might be able to blow Real Madrid out of the water in the opening 60th minute, 60 minutes. The difference between Real Madrid and all those other teams is those teams didn't have Gareth Bale to bring off the bench. They didn't have Asensio to bring off the bench. We don't know if Isco is going to start to bring off the bench. Lucas Vasquez. Real Madrid is the deepest team in this competition. They are every year, and they always will be. That's going to be tough. It's a 90-minute bloodbath. But I think they got it. I really do. I think... I think Salah, Firmino, and, and Mane absolutely can bring Real Madrid through the ringer. They're going to make them work a lot. They're going to make it hard for their their uh, fullbacks to provide the width that they usually provide. Um, so that's why I'm taking Liverpool 4, Real Madrid 3. Uh, and that's my heart. In my head, I think Real Madrid 3-2. But I, I think you're going to see a 4-3 Liverpool win. And I think that last 20 minutes is where you're going to see Zidane change the game, bring on somebody else, and that's when Real Madrid will come so close to equalizing Liverpool, hang on, and they'll take the win. So uh, back to Alex and Javier. Follow us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Andrew Passaro at ASMOS92, and also go and review us on iTunes. Always helps us grow, especially with the World Cup, trying to get a little more stuff out there. So <sighs> big week. Elise, Elise, Elise. <clears throat> ole, ole, ole. Uh, Javier, are you going to be sticking by your Liverpool pick? Yeah, I mean, my brain's telling me Real Madrid. You know, they, they've they've won two two in a row. They're, this is their third final. Uh, you know, they've won four out of the last five, I think. And they're, you know, this this team is, you know, the Golden State Warriors of... They've won of, three of the last four. And this would be last four, four right. of the last five. Right, if they win this, yeah. So, I mean, that that type of experience is invaluable in a final like this and you know they have all these amazing players they have the two best two are arguably the two best fullbacks in the world in Carvajal and Marcelo you know they have one of the best if not the best midfields in the world and you know Ronaldo in a final in, in the Champions League is you, you, every time that you doubt them I've said this many times they come back and they bite you so that's what my brain is telling me but my heart and like what I think, my body, my body yeah. is telling me yes. What what I really think deep down, like oh, wait, is no, going to happen. I can't sing R. Kelly anymore. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> what I think R. is going to happen is, you know, Liverpool have all this have had all this momentum in the Champions League this season, and I think they've just been absolutely electric. And I think that every time that they've played a team for the first time, they've absolutely demolished them. Every team that they've played for the first time in the Champions League this year, and you know. I think that they're they're going to be full of energy. They're going to be up for it. I think they're going to have the best player in the world right now in form in Mohamed Salah. And 
you know anything can happen it's a, it's a final and when you have momentum like that i know i like i think player psychology and you know the the mood and all of that has has a big factor in it but you know like i said my brain you know clop clop is never you know he always loses in these finals you know he's he zidane seems to have this magical aura in the champions league and this this technical genius too because you know in these matches he always seems to find the right combination of players to stifle the opponent and to bring his team out so you know you 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 these are two you know eccentric and you know great managers going at each other with great players and i think it's gonna be a super fun game to watch i'm you know i can't wait for saturday I'm going to retweet the article I was reading a couple of days ago, but one of the Real Madrid blogs, I don't follow it. It just popped up on Reddit Soccer the other day. It was like the most, it was called, it was titled the most in-depth Champions League preview you will read. And it was written by a Real Madrid fan on one of their blogs. But I want to say it was so impartial and it was so realistic with, uh, realistic reasons why Real Madrid need to fear Liverpool. And it laid out the exact reason why I think this Champions League is perfectly poised to be one of the most exciting finals that we've had in a while. And it's that both teams' weaknesses just fit the other perfectly. Right. Where Real Madrid, people keep pointing out, yes, they're good in possession, but have they faced a team other than Barcelona that's sort of as good at pressing off the ball as Liverpool? Have they faced a team that has as much pace as Liverpool's front line does and has the decision-making of a front three like Mane, Firmino and Salah once they do get the ball and are and are making those just absolutely lung-busting runs in behind your defence? That's a weakness of Real's. We've seen it time and time again in uh, La Liga this, this season. Teams, 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 teams have cut them apart. Teams Real and they've beaten them. Small teams, Almeria, you know, uh, Las Palmas, I think, you know, some of these teams that are at the bottom of the table near the have gotten results against Real Madrid by putting them under pressure, high pressing, you know, uh, frustrating them and, 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 and playing attacking football against them. And that, that can be on one day, but then on a completely other day, you can see maybe the games against PSG, Juve, Bayern in the last couple uh, rounds of the Champions League. There's been other times when top, top teams have pressed them pretty well. And Real have They're utilized... so good in possession. And Real just... It's, it's insane sometimes the kind of players that they, can, that they can put out there to just sort of dismantle any hope you have of pressing them out of the ball. Right. You've seen them score goals at times this year that you're just like, every other team in the world probably would have given that uh, given the ball away at some point or a pass just would have been like a a couple of inches just off and a player would have been left out of stride but there are moments of perfection with Ray Allen in in possession that over the course of 90 minutes I don't doubt that Real are going to score at least 3 goals but I think Liverpool at their best can score 3 goals <laughs> against Real it's it's something that it's it, like I said, it's perfectly poised to be an absolute barnstormer of the game. I have 4-2 as my prediction, Real Madrid. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, really close game for the first half. And like you said, Liverpool are going to have to start quickly. They're going to have to start quickly out of the blocks. And, well, no, I mean... They're going to have to score like two or three goals in the first half, I think. I mean, that's what Liverpool has done to every team. They did it to Man City, did it to I'll Roma. I'll be at, at Enfield. Yeah, very different different atmosphere. Uh, but 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 even then, I'm just saying that this is their, you know, th- that's their mo, a home or away. 
they they put in a a, a a crazy shift in the first, you know, 30 minutes of the first half and the first 15 minutes of the second half. That's when Real Madrid's going to have to be at their most alert. If you if, if the score is nil-nil 30 minutes in, Real Madrid are probably going to win. Interesting. One other thing I want to bring up that you touched on very quickly that I think gives an advantage to Real, and just very generally, it's what you mentioned about Zidane being the tactician that he has been the last two or three years as coach of Real Madrid. He's never been afraid to change things up. He's never been afraid to bench yeah. the likes of Tony Cruz or Modric or Isco in favor of... Even Casemiro, like, too. He's benched uh, all of, of uh, Vasquez, one of the wingers, or Kovacic, uh, Kovacic and play him as more of a defensive Isco. midfielder. The main thing that I think favors Real is their flexibility and the fact that we know the exact 11 players and the exact 11 and the exact system that Liverpool will be utilizing on Saturday. That's an asset in and of itself. But Real have the capability due to squad depth, just overall better players who can play in more different positions and in different uh, systems, they have the ability to shift and change their style as the game goes on and for different situations throughout the game. Liverpool have one modus operandi, and that's that's 100% going after it. And if Liverpool start to get penned in a little bit by Real Madrid's possession and they don't happen to get those really, really good chances off of the press that create those great counterattacks for them... They get really disheartened and they, they're not a team capable of defending with their backs against the wall for like 60 to 70 minutes like an Atletico Madrid or someone like that. They need to have chances in possession to feed off themselves. And if Real Madrid are able to starve them of oxygen like that, then it could be it could be a really, really long day for them. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I just see I, I want to lay out that Liverpool could go absolute balls to the wall, like you mentioned, and go up two or three nil. But there's another scenario where Real Madrid just absolutely throttle control of the game away from Liverpool and and win it 3-1 or 4-0 or something. Yeah, that's why it's so perfectly poised. All right, that's all from us here at the Ghost Gold Podcast for this week. Uh, Keep an eye out for our next two World Cup previews coming either Friday or sometime over the weekend. I'm going to have those out for you guys so you can uh, give us a listen during your long, arduous Memorial Day weekend road trips. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and until next time, bye!